0: Guys, take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you are visiting with us today, we're glad you're here with us. Please do me a favor, and especially if you have a guest a friend with you, make sure they fill out a visitor card. I want to send them a thank you. I want to send uh, some information out. Uh, so if you would, before you leave, there should be something on the uh, foyer table. You can fill that out. Just leave it on the table. That would be great. And uh, somebody will pick that up and put that in the office. Uh, we, we appreciate you being here with us today. And if you're looking for a home church, we'd love for you to consider Community Baptist Church. We will be starting up, Lord willing, a new members class, and it's looking pretty full. Saints, keep praying, because we want to see some more folks get added to that class. And Easter is a great opportunity for new families to come in, so be praying for that. Lord willing, we'll be starting that new class after Easter, and so uh, please, uh, do your part, church. Be praying, be inviting folks. If you know somebody looking for a church... Uh, Somebody interested, please invite them out. Love to see them here. Love to have them be a part of what God's doing here. A lot of neat things happening. Uh, We're going to give some updates tonight at our business meeting. So if you can be here, come and see uh, that. It'll be after church tonight. And uh, we are grateful uh, for uh, the ministries of Community Baptist Church. Continue to pray for that. If you would, in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12. We continue through the book of Hebrews. And, uh, man, oh, man, I'm looking ahead. Guys, we got one chapter left. I see the finish line. I see it. I see it. We're getting there. We're getting closer. Uh, so that means another six months, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll go as far as we can go. Let me just say this. I was ambitious this week. I said, man, we're going to finish chapter 12 this week. So I began to study, and I got into the text, and I'm digging it out, I'm praying it out, and, 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 and it's, it's going to be, you know, verse 12 all the way to, 28, 29. And I said, no. Last night, uh, no, we're not going to do that. So good news is we're only doing 12 through 17. That probably means we'll get 12 to 14. Uh, anyway, we're going to try and push forward on this. Uh, there's just too much. It, it, and I'm saying, look, it, this, this whole book's been good. But it's getting ready to get real good. You better hang tight. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss the follow-up to this one at the end of this chapter. Powerful, powerful scripture. And uh, it, all of it is, but uh, anyways, I'm excited about it. I hope you are. That's the Bible nerd in me coming out, but mm, good stuff. God is good. Let's look, if you would, in our text today, and we'll begin our reading in verse 12 of chapter 12. If you need a Bible, should be a Bible there in front of you. Here we go. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people in holiness without which no one We'll see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food so does birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you will bless the reading of your word, the teaching of your word. And Lord, I'm simply asking, please let me be a vessel clean for your honor to be used today. That your word would go out in power, and that we the listener would receive it. That your spirit would speak to us and teach us and draw us near, Lord. Many expectant hearts here this morning. Meet with us. Encourage us in the in the race. And so Lord I ask that you be glorified here and Christ be made much of. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Pressing forward. You know, we've been looking at this uh, in chapter 12, and you, you remember he began at the beginning after recapping the great hall of faith of chapter 11 and all those saints who've gone on before. And the Hebrew writer, as you know, is constantly, constantly going back to the Old Testament. He's illustrating things from the Old Testament because his audience is predominantly a Jewish audience and they are struggling with whether or not they should go back into Judaism. Even though Christ has come, even though Christ has died for their sins, been buried and has risen again, and this has been teaching throughout, Christ is the way, Christ is the fulfillment. Those were shadows in the Old Testament and Christ is the substance. Christ is far superior. He is greater than any of the practices and the traditions that you have been practicing and doing. He is what those things were for. He's come. He's risen. He's alive. And He's coming back for those who put their faith and trust in His completed work. And so this is what He's been saying. And that gets into chapter 12 and He says, Because we have such examples before us, then let us look to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Look to Him as your example when you're struggling, when there's pain, when there's suffering, when there's so many things that come into your life as we all face. Jesus is your example. He's been tempted in every way in which we have, yet without sin. And He is our deliverer. We are victorious in Christ. And then he moved on and he began to talk to us about the discipline. And that's where we spent the last two times that we've been in this text in chapter 12. And he began to talk about the discipline. That God disciplines His children. Every one of those who belong to Him are disciplined. And we talked about the three ways in which we're disciplined. Sometimes we're disciplined out of correction because we're sinning. And we need a little spanking to get us back on the track. Other times, we are disciplined to prevent us from going down a path that's going to cause us harm. And we gave the example of Paul with pride, and that's why he was given a thorn in the flesh. But most of our discipline as Christians, as we walk, is educational. Whenever you work out, you must discipline yourself to work out. You must discipline the body. When Nate trains for, a triath- uh, uh, for the triathlon, he must discipline himself. And he does so daily, often, frequently. Imagine if you would, uh, well, let's just pick on me for a minute. Imagine Nate and I decided we were going to do a full-on marathon. Don't bet on me. (laughs) I've had no discipline in training (laughs) for that race. I can already tell you out of the gate, (laughs) I probably won't even make it to the starting line. All right? Discipline, guys, is a good thing. And those whom God loves, He disciplines. And so that's what's been happening up to this point. And then we get to verse 12 today, where we are today, and He says, therefore. Now, when we see a therefore, what's the first thing we ask? Good students, what's it there for? Therefore, all of these things he's been teaching up to this point, he's going to point it out. He's going to say, therefore, since we know all these things that we've just shared, therefore, since you know about the discipline of God, since you know about these things, he says, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Now, again, I'm, I'm not much of a runner unless it's, you know, to the, to the buffet line. I've been known to make pretty good time on that. But I do know a little bit about running, and in, at least in this sense, that when a runner begins to get tired... My understanding is one of the first things that drops is his arms. His hands begin to hang down. Guys, we're going to start this passage right here and we're going to look at this today as we begin to unpack it. My responsibility in teaching and preaching the Word is to do so in a way that will exhort us to respond. And by God's grace, that's what I I want to do today. And so we're going to take this actually from a... What might seem like a negative approach. But we're going to see a positive and a negative in this text. But let's begin by saying what we're not to be doing. All right? What we're not to be doing as believers, as followers of Christ. What we're not to be doing. So, with that said, we're not to be dislocated. Notice what the text says Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be. Dislocated. But rather be healed. Discipline in the form of correction. It's better to to have that healing take place than for it to go further. In dislocation, if you will. Speaking of the body. And you notice the body references here in this text. Therefore, we must... If we don't want to be dislocated within the body of believers, if we don't want to be dislocated, we must strengthen one another. Notice what he says. He says, strengthen the hands which hang down. Again, put yourself in the context of the letter. There are Jewish people who are struggling in their faith. There are born-again believers who have come out of Judaism... And they're tired of being persecuted. They're tired of being put down. They're tired of being displaced from their families. Their families have turned their back on them because of their faith. I imagine some people aren't wanting to trade with them or do business with them because they're those Christians. And they're suffering as a result of their following after Jesus Christ. Guys, don't count it strange when we fall into temptations and trials and testings of our faith. The only thing you and I are promised as followers of Christ is if we choose to live righteously in this world, we will suffer persecution. That's a promise. Take it to the bank. But sometimes in the race, we get a little weary, don't we? We get a little tired. We kind of start to drop our hands. We kind of start to slow down. We kind of lose the discipline, the form, if you will. We need some encouragement. I'll never forget. I told you I wasn't much of a runner. But years ago, many years ago, when I was first here, Mark Gentry talked me into a uh, race, 5K. He said, man, you should do this, Pastor. You should come do this. He did. So I, okay, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. So I went and I did it. And I trained for it, I disciplined myself, I know that's hard to believe, preparing for it, but I'll never forget that last hill headed up towards Goldsboro, and I could see, I was thinking, city on a hill. (laughs) Yeah, it was there, because there was a big hill, and I was like, oh no, please, not a hill. It's the only hill in eastern North Carolina. I mean, it's like, there's no hills in eastern North Carolina, but it would be on that last leg. And I really, I'm just being honest, you know, excuse me, but I really felt like I was going to throw up. (laughs) I was feeling miserable. And I remember I got to the top of that hill and I thought there was going to be the line there, but no, I had to make a turn. And when I made the turn down this long stretch corridor in downtown Goldsboro, I saw the finish line. Now, there's something about when you see that finish line that's motivating. That's why I believe the writer says, look into Jesus, the author, and finisher of your faith I saw the finish and then I began to kind of step it up a little bit those arms that were hanging down wheat began to get a little stronger and I'm gonna tell you I'll never forget it because about that time there was Mark Gentry on the side he'd finished five minutes earlier but anyway <laughs> there he was on the side and I remember he started running. Come on, Pastor, come on. You can do this. You can do this. And he was encouraging me. And man, it was like I found another gear. It hadn't been there all race. And I mean, I was just high stepping it. Look at it. Hey, by the way, look at that. Woo, I'm getting there. And I was just getting it. And I remember going across the finish line, and, and, and Mr. DJ on the microphone, Mr. Funny Man, said, ha ha ha, he should have ran that way the whole race. You know, thank you, guy. Yeah. But it was motivating, it was encouraging. Guys, the writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing to us as believers. Look around you. Some of us are weary. Some of us are on the last leg of the race. And now's not the time to faint. That's not an age joke, by the way, guys. Some of us don't. Look, we don't know what a day will bring forth. Right? Right? But we must encourage one another. You got this. We can do this. Community Baptist Church, we can reach LaGrange with the gospel. There's the finish line. Look to Jesus. We can do this. And so we need to strengthen one another. We need to strengthen the hands which hang down. And we can do this by, by helping one another, ministering to one another. The knees are feeble. (laughs) <laughs> Tell me about it. Isaiah 35.3, and again, you got to put yourself into the mindset of the writer of Hebrews. He is well-versed in Judaism. And almost everything he writes in this letter is attached to something in the Old Testament. You talk about having a real knowledge of the Scriptures, this, this person, obviously, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration... But he knew, he had trained, he had disciplined himself in the study of the Scriptures. He's referencing Isaiah 35.3. Isaiah 35.3 says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. So he's appealing to those that are on the fence. He's appealing to those, first off, those believers who came out of Judaism. Jesus is a fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about. He's also appealing to those who are on the fence who are saying, Well, I don't know. Do I do I surrender my life to Jesus? Do I commit and fully follow Jesus Christ? Or or do I walk away from it? Even though I've tasted the goodness and the glory of God and and I've been in the midst of the congregation and I've heard the preaching and teaching of how Christ is the way, but I'm just I'm I'm more comfortable with this. I need to go back into what I know. And they go back into Judaism, turning their back on the only means of salvation. Once they've become fully informed. And that's going to be important as we begin to look at Esau's life and we begin to unpack the last part of this chapter. Understanding, as we've looked at before in earlier verses, that, that some people twist to say you can lose your salvation. No, no, no. He's saying there is no way, guys, if you have been fully informed on the only way, complete knowledge of truth, There's no way to walk away from that and find another way to heaven. You're done. There's no way to be renewed again until repentance. Everything that you need to be saved, you've been given. There's nothing that can bring you back to that because that's all there is. Jesus is the way. And so, he says, strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. We don't want to be dislocated. Therefore, we must also straighten. We see that we're to be strengthened, but we're also to straighten. What are we to straighten? We're to straighten the feet, the paths for your feet. Notice the text. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may be dislocated. So that what what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Maybe you're here, maybe you're one of those on the fence. And maybe as you're running your race in life, so to speak, your path's not so straight. You're veering off into this lane. You're looking into worldliness. You're being distracted in the midst of your race. The writer is saying, look, make make straight paths for your feet. Make straight paths for your feet. John MacArthur gives an illustration of the importance of the paths in which we're walking, church. Consider this illustration. His father had told him. He says, I always think of the story my dad used to tell me about the father who went out to get drunk again. And he was walking through the snow to the bar. And he hadn't gone very far from his house and he thought something was following him. He turned around and here was his little boy, six years old. Stretching as far as he could to make sure he put his feet in his dad's footsteps in the snow. And his dad said, Where are you going? He says, I'm just following your footsteps, Dad. I'm just following your footsteps. Guys, we are setting an example for those behind us. And the writer here knows this. And he's encouraging us to be careful in the path which we're on. And he's exhorting us to make our path straight. That our feet will follow. In fact... It's the Greek word here. It means it's a smooth, straight path. A smooth, straight path. It's, it's the term used for paths is troika in the Greek, and it means the track left behind from wheels. That's the idea. If you can imagine these wheels pushing something, and, and, and they leave a smooth path. As a cart maybe goes down a hill... And it makes those path indentions. It would leave tracks. And that's the point. You're leaving a track, Christian. Nonbeliever, you too are leaving a track. You're leaving a pattern for somebody to follow. And so the writer reminds us, he said, look, if you don't want to be dislocated, You don't want to experience the correcting hand of God, then make straight your paths. And again, anchored in the Old Testament, Proverbs 4 25 through 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Ponder the path of your feet. What's he saying? Think about it. Think about it, Christian. What path are you on? Which road are you headed down right now? It's going to have an impact. Our path is going to affect those around us. It's going to affect those coming behind us. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. That's the exhortation in Scripture. That's the exhortation the writer of Hebrews has in mind as he quotes this. So we're not to be dislocated and we're also not to be defiled. Notice verse 14 and 15 of our text. He says we're to pursue peace with all people and holiness with which no one will see the Lord. Now, a lot of people, again, misinterpret this passage of Scripture. So let's try to break it down. We're not to be defiled, church. Therefore, we must pursue peace and war with the world. Seems like an oxymoron, but that's what it's saying. That's what the text is calling us to do. It's saying that if we're not going to be defiled, then we must make peace. We must pursue peace with everyone in the world. We are to pursue that peace... But we're also to make war. Peace and war. Hmm. We're to strive. What does the writer have in mind here? Well, let's take a look at peace. First off, he says that we're to be at peace with all people. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible... Now guys, let me just stop right there. Sometimes... It is just not possible. I mean, really. Sometimes it's all you can do. You try everything you know to do before the Lord to be at peace with someone and it's just not possible. It's Listen, God says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now that should be our desire. We should love one another. We should... Love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the instructions for us as followers of Christ. And we are to seek peace. But there are two ways we try to pursue peace wrongly. Two ways that oftentimes we will try and bring about peace to a situation or a circumstance and we're doing it wrong. Let's talk about that. What are the two ways? One way is compromise. We could compromise. We could compromise as Christians our integrity. We could compromise our stand for what we know to be true and what the Bible says is right. And that could potentially make a temporary peace, right? But is it worth that? I don't know your situations. I don't know what you're facing. But you know, you could, you could compromise. Maybe it's a business deal. Maybe, maybe somebody's wanting you to do something that you know is unethical, immoral, against the Word of God, and, and, and you were, you're trying to keep the peace here. You're trying to, you don't want to upset the apple cart. Maybe, maybe if I just compromise. Now look, there's a healthy compromise. There's an unhealthy compromise. I'm talking about the unhealthy compromise that damages the testimony, that defiles. We can't do that because we're called to holiness. That doesn't mean God expects us to be perfect, guys. We're not going to be perfect. Jesus Christ is our perfection. That's why our faith and trust is in Him. But again, what the writer is exhorting us to do is follow Christ. Follow His example to allow Christ to work in us and work through us. And if we compromise for the sake of peace, then we lose everything we stand for. So compromising is not an option. But the other side is callousness. If we're not careful, when it comes to the subject of peace, we can just kind of grow hard. Callous to the needs of others and and what's best in each situation. And hearts grow hardened as a result. Guys, can I just be real transparent with you for a second? There are certain areas as a pastor that I can look at my life and look at where I was when I began and where I am right now and and I can see, man, I've grown a little hard in that area. I've gotten callous in that area. Now, some would say to me, uh, there's a balance in this because some would say, you know what, you've become more discerning too. And, And there's some truth in that because sometimes discernment can be perceived as hard. But what I'm speaking of specifically is, I can't tell you, time and time again, I get a phone call weekly, multiple times a week. Now I just let Nate answer the phone so he can deal with it. <laughs> I've earned my stripes on it. We're breaking him in right. But seriously, we'll get these calls constantly. My wife's got a file of common callers. I'm serious. It's like as soon as you... Uh, we know who that is. Let's add it to her file. Let's add it to his file. Warning. Strike the violin. Sob stories of everything that's going wrong in their life and all the problems and can you pay my electric bill and can you do this? And and nine out of ten times, and I'm just giving you experience, nine out of ten times they're lying. Nine out of ten times it's not true. It's a flat-out lie. They're wanting money from the church so they can go support their habit and they have lost their soul in wanting to just flat-out lie to the church. And that's the reality that I face oftentimes that we face. Guys, one of the hardest things for me as a pastor to do is to turn away even one person. I dare not ever want to turn away one person who has a genuine need that says, I need your help, can you help me? Lord, please never ever let me miss that one. And I covet your prayers in that. Because I'm held responsible in discernment and I'm thankful that I have a group of men around me that if it goes above a certain amount, I can easily say to them, hey, you know what, that's not a decision I can make, but I will bring it to the Benevolence Committee. And then we will collectively look at it. And that's how we do things here. And so that is a protection for me as a pastor. Because again, from my experience, uh, nine out of ten of them, denied, 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 I wish I could help all of them when it's a legit need, and I do. Again, pray, finger on the pulse, pray. And so we we have filters in place to discern is this a real need? And if it's a real need, it finds its way to the forefront. And guess what, church? We help those. We help those. But I gotta guard on callousness. Because God's called me to be compassionate. He's called you to be compassionate. So we struggle in trying to pursue peace as the way in which we do it. Are we going to compromise? Which is wrong. We can't do that. Are we going to be callous? We can't do that because we're supposed to be compassionate. And so we need to be aware of these things so that we can again, Lord, help me to be the person you've called me to be in this area. But he says... We're not to be dislocated, church. We're not to be defiled. We must be holy. He calls us to holiness. And that means we need to war against the world. If you want to be at peace, you've got to fight. No, not for your right to party. I know some of you just thought that. Now I didn't put it there. Quinn's shaking his head too. Seriously, we are to strive against worldliness. It is a fight, isn't it? It's a struggle. It's a battle. When we're running the race, it wants to gather our attention. It wants to distract us. It wants to pull us in. He says here in verses 14 and 15, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now he's speaking of sanctification. Some people misunderstand this and say, well, man, i got to do better. i got to live more holy. Therefore, I'll go see Jesus one day. If I just keep running my race and my effort and and I just do better and I get better, then I'm going to be all right. No, 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 guys. You will never be good enough. You will never work hard enough. Salvation is not earned. It is a gift. For by grace have you been saved. Through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. Lest anyone should boast. Take your Bibles. Go over to Philippians real quick, and if you would. Uh, I was at a Wayne Christian School this week. Sorry, Carly, you're going to hear this message twice. <laughs> she said, oh, no, that one was 45 minutes long, preacher. She didn't say that, but I'm sure she might have thought it. All right. Yeah, I kept them long, but I got a T-shirt out of it. Thank you, Quinn. All right. Philippians 2. This is, again, what Paul is thinking and saying here when he writes... Notice, if you would, in Philippians 2.12. And you'll notice in 2.12, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, there's that word again, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Now notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, work for your salvation. That is not what he said. He did not say, work for your salvation. He did not say, uh, work to keep your salvation. He said work out your salvation. And if you keep reading, he qualifies the statement by saying it's God who works in. Right? So believer, if God has worked in to you salvation, the idea here is that we will exercise our faith and live it out. We will work it out. That it will become apparent. It will become evident. And that's why we're sitting under the Word of God to Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That the sanctifying work of the Spirit will begin to work in our hearts to conform us more and more into the image of God as we run our race. And so the Hebrew writer is encouraging this same thought. If you are not born again, you will not see the Lord. He is your holiness. He is your holiness, not your efforts. But if He has worked into you His holiness, and He has if you're a believer, you are sealed and you are positionally... He justifies you in the moment you believe. And the aspect of salvation that is now at work in you, and by the way, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. (laughs) Amen. You won't complete it. I won't complete it. But he will complete it. He who has worked this into you, he who has begun a good work in you, will work this out until the day of redemption. That will be the final aspect of salvation, which is glorification. So, justification the moment that you cry out to the Lord to save your soul, you turn in repentance and saving faith for Jesus to transform your life, you are saved, you are born again. And then He begins this work in you and He says, Look, now that you have the gift of salvation, now that you've received the grace of God, it's God who's worked in you. Now you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, reverence, holiness. Guys, we have left holiness, we have left holiness and reverence of God. We have departed from it. And if you want a good, fresh dose of getting my heart right before God, you come back and see what we're going into next because He's going to lay it out hard. This is one of the final warnings in Hebrews He's getting ready to get into here. We're not to be defiled. We're to pursue peace. And part of that pursuing of peace is making war against worldliness. But God's not left you alone in this fight, guys. He's given you exactly what you need to persevere. He's given you the ability, by the earnestness of the Holy Spirit that's been deposited within you, believer, you can now, for once in your life, walk victoriously. We must look carefully if we do not want to be defiled. Notice here, he says we must look carefully, or maybe your translation says look diligently. It's the, this word right here is the word episcopio. It's the word where we get bishop from. It's synonymous with elder. It means to take oversight. It means to take oversight. As a believer, you're not only responsible for your own life. This is what he's saying here, in essence, the Hebrew writer. You're not responsible just for your own life, but you're responsible to look around, to look diligently, to take the oversight. The word bishop in the New Testament, which is overseer, pastor, episkopos, it means overseer. It's the word that describes an elder's duty, a pastor's responsibility. And so he's writing it here when he says, look carefully, back in Hebrews, pursue peace with all peace uh, people, verse 15, looking carefully, diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. There's two lest here, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any bitterness springing up cause trouble. Let's take a look at that. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. He's saying, Christian... You've got people sitting around you just like the Hebrew people did, who are not believers. They're on the fence. They're one foot in the world, they're one foot in the church. And you know who they are a lot of times. You question if they really are saved because you see their life. You see how they're running the race. And you're afraid to question because who am I to question somebody's salvation? That's that's between them and God. Guys, This verse is saying, look, no, 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 you have a responsibility. You are your brother's keeper. We are overseers of one another. We must encourage one another. And the way we encourage one another is not bashing one another, but to genuinely, if you have concern for your neighbor, if you have concern for the person sitting next to you, you see things in their life that's not becoming of a Christian to say, hey, brother, I am, man, I love you, but I am concerned with what I'm seeing. Let's talk about it. Just me and you. We have that responsibility. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. The idea is here, heaven forbid these Hebrew people, one foot in, one foot out. We leave them alone. They got sick and tired of the persecution. And they said, you know what, forget this Christian stuff, man. I'm going back to, you know, we had it good before. We had it good before. I was treated with respect in the community of of the Jewish people. I'm going back to that. And many people say, you know what, in the church today, you know what, man, I, 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 that church, that's just, you know, they're too fanatic, man. I'm going to go back over there to this place where they're just kind of, you know, everybody do their own thing. You know, I don't need all this pressure. And this is why we have the confusion of people saying, well, you Baptists believe once saved, always saved. You know, you, you, you think you can just, you know, repent on Sunday and sin all week and come back and repent again on Sunday. You know, no, that's not what, when people understand biblical teaching, guys, here's the truth. If you've been born again, your heart's been transformed and changed, there is a new desire within you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. I'm in the race. I'm I'm desiring to move forward. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be lame anymore. Yeah, we hit those moments in the race. Sure we do. But that's why we must encourage one another on the leg of the race we're in. So we must look carefully. And then he says this. Notice in the text, if you would. This is a very important section here. I want us to to really understand this. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Guys, a root of bitterness is hard to see. Think about it. The root is hidden. The root is down deep into the soil of the heart. That's not seen. And what happens oftentimes in our churches and sometimes in our walks and sometimes if we're not careful, bitterness gets in there. And if we don't deal with it, it's going to begin to grow. And as it begins to sprout and comes through, its end result is it affects many. Now again, the Hebrew writer has Old Testament in mind. He has the Old Testament mind when he writes this. Listen, Deuteronomy 29.18 says this, "...so that there may not be among you..." Hear that. Remember, he's talking to the people of Israel. These are instructions to the believers. In Israel, and there were many in that time who fell back because of unbelief, they weren't true believers, they were departing from, they got close, they tasted, but they weren't going to the promised land. All this he's been saying in Hebrews. And he says in Deuteronomy 29, 18, So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. And that there may not be among you a root... Bearing bitterness or wormwood. There's the root of bitterness. The root of bitterness is a guy who's superficially identified with the religion of Israel in Deuteronomy, but goes back to paganism, or goes away to paganism. And that's exactly the root of bitterness parallel that he picks up here in Hebrews. It's the guy who superficially, or girl, who superficially identifies with Christianity. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a community Baptist church. Yeah, I go there. And he superficially identifies with Christianity, but he goes back. He goes on in verse 19 in Deuteronomy, and he says, and cometh to pass, when he hears the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart, to add drunkenness to thirst. The Lord will not spare him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall make smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven, and the Lord shall set him apart unto evil." God has His strongest words for one who comes to the truth, who knows the truth, who turns around and walks away from the truth. That's always been where God's greatest rebuke has been. That's always where God's greatest discipline has been. And the Hebrew writer is warning against that. They have known the truth and they walk away from the truth. That man is called in Deuteronomy chapter 28 a root of bitterness. And that's what he's talking about here. Take the oversight, people, lest any root of bitterness rise up among you. Lest some person fall back into apostasy. Same illustration, different terms. That's sobering, church. That is sobering for us. That's a strong warning, church. And if you don't think it was significant in the day of Israel, <laughs> you come back next week. Whoo, Man, it's serious. Springing up trouble. And by it, many... defiled you know you get one apostate and he'll corrupt a lot of other people a root of bitterness doesn't exist unto itself it is a corrupting factor it is a corrupting factor God loves his church and he cares about the purity of his church again guys don't hear what I'm not saying None of us are perfect. But if you've come to the full knowledge of truth, you know the truth, and you intentionally turn your back and walk away and go after the gods of this world, willingly, a scary ground. And we dare not allow that to just fester. That root grows. And it affects this person. And that person. And then that person and that But the next thing you know, it, it's defiled many. Last point, And I'm going to get you all out of here. Whew, better turn it into high gear. Last leg of the race! Where's Gentry when I needed him? MB, you're going to have to yell for me. I know where he's at. They're traveling to Florida. Y'all pray for them. Distraught. We're not to be distraught. uh, Third point. So check this out. Notice if you would, verses 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for the morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. This idea here, fornicator is an immoral person. He's warning us about that. He says we're not to be distraught. We're not to be, you know, if, again, in the midst of these people, he was saying, he was warning about the immoral. He was talking about the profane, which is the godless. Again, moving on from that understanding of what that root of bitterness was representing, drawing from the Deuteronomy passage. Like Esau, let me just say this real quick. Like Esau, he gives that example. You know the story of Esau. Traded his birthright, wanted some lentil soup, right? Mr. Hairy man, right? You know who I'm talking about? Jacob tricked him. He took... Okay, so that story... Esau, who for one morsel of food, sold his birthright. Many Christians today sell a birthright of intimacy with God as cheaply as Esau sold his birthright. David Guzik. He also says, for he found no place for repentance. Now I know for a lot of people that's troubling. This is a very troubling passage. I kind of hate that I'm pushing this because this is a very troubling passage for a lot of people. You're sitting here and you say, well, wait a minute, man. So you mean Esau sought repentance? And there was none to be found. Does that? Oh, see right there, preacher. See, see, he lost his, he lost his birthright. He lost his salvation. He's gonna lose. you No, that's not what this is teaching, guys. It's not what this is teaching. By the way, and I, and, and unless you wanted to, maybe. Maybe Tyson could teach you some Hebrew, but in the original language, there's some some important emphasis in this phrase that I think our translation does a little bit of injustice. Now it could it could be right, but but again, knowing the whole of Scripture, because when you weigh a passage of Scripture, you weigh the whole of Scripture. But I believe the emphasis on this text, look at it closely, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, okay, there's the object. What does he want? He wants the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no place for repentance. Though he sought it, what did he he seek? The blessing. He sought it diligently with tears. He didn't care about getting right with God. He hated Jacob. He was despising Jacob in this moment. What he wanted was his blessing. And there's a lot of people not serving the master, but they're serving what's on the master's table. They want the blessing. That's why they're going to follow Jesus, because he can, hey man, I can get this, I can get that. He's like a genie in a bottle. That's why I'm going to follow Jesus, what he can do for me. Guys, if that's our focus, we got the wrong focus. That's what he's talking about here. For he found no place for repentance. It's not a question of forgiveness. God's forgiveness is always open to penitent folks. But Esau, Esau could have come back to God. But he could not undo what he had done. He saw it diligently with tears. Esau's birthright wasn't restored simply because he wished it back. It could never be regained because he despised it. He despised Jacob. He wept and wept, but he couldn't repent because he had rejected when God had given him all the information. Willfully. And his rejection became permanent. And church, that's what the Hebrew writer is warning us. That's what he was warning the people of Hebrews. You got the one on the fence who's in the congregation, and he wants to go to Judaism or he wants to follow Jesus. He's a fence rider. Some of us today are fence riders. I got my eye on the world. I got my eye on this. I got my eye on that. But I don't have my eye on the author and finisher of my faith. And therefore, I'm running all over the lanes in the race. I'm knocking people down left and right. I'm defiling myself and I'm knocking down others in the process. Guys, that's what the Hebrew writer is warning us against. Conclusion. Conclusion. We're not to be dislocated. We're to be healed. We're not to be defiled. We're to pursue peace and holiness. And we're not to be distraught. We're to be disciples that follow after Christ until the race is done. servant enter into the joy of the Lord let's pray Father thank you this should excite us we have someone who who has blazed a trail for us we know the author and finisher of our faith it is done it is permanent my salvation is secure not because of what I do not because of what I've done not because of anything I could do but because of who Jesus Christ is Lord, help us. Help us to understand this. Help us not to be dislocated. We're weak. We're tired. I get that. I truly get that. But we're to be healed. We're not to be defiled. Help us, Lord, to pursue peace with every man and a war against worldliness. Help us, Lord, not to be distraught, because we are disciples. We are children of the King. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are children of the kingdom. Lord, help us run our race and run it well. In Jesus' name, amen.